are listening to First Church Charlotte. So thankful to see all of you. All of you got out of your little safe zone and came to the house of the Lord. We thank you for that. We're so glad to have all of those who are joining us online. Church, let's give a big hand to everybody joining us online right now. Thank you for that. We're glad to have you a part of our service. Um, I, I, my main thing to say about this crazy year is we're closer to the end than the beginning. And I'm not just talking about the calendar. I think we're closer to the end of this, uh, this strange season of history than we are to the beginning. And we are going to make it. We've been through it together. We are going to make it. It's going to be all right. God's on the throne. Can I have a big amen? All right, so I'm preaching today from a subject that hopefully will catch your interest. You guys know I try. My title is this, Not a Norman Rockwell Christmas. Not a Norman Rockwell Christmas. And my production team found beautiful Norman Rockwell painting that we are using without permission and uh, putting up for our consideration. You know, so much of the story of Jesus is, uh, I I don't know if I should say so much, but let me say it this way. Uh, A fair amount of the story of Jesus is the beginning of the gospels, how he, his lineage, uh, the story of his parents, how they were protected by divine intervention, um, how he was born. And all year long, us preachers kind of avoid it um, because we're saving it for the holiday season. And then during the holiday season, uh, you have all of the lessons, all of the spiritual images, all of the teaching. The Bible often teaches through story, through narrative. It teaches uh, through giving us not the whole picture, but enough of the picture to draw spiritual lessons and knowledge from. And so us preachers all year long, we, we kind of stay away from those subjects and you don't hear Bethlehem mentioned hardly at all uh, until December comes, and then we just kind of pound you over the head with it. So it's because of the uh, huge event at the end of every year that we call the holidays. Um, it is a beautiful time, but I, I fear sometimes that we're guilty of making it too sentimental and missing the spiritual depth to it. And in some ways, that's inevitable. Uh, we're a, we live in a fairly wealthy society, and whenever uh, we give gifts one to another, all of the companies that make things, all of the marketing teams, they try to uh, get some of that money that you're going to spend on people you love. Um, that's it's not bad in itself. It just it's human. And I'm not trying. I, I, I want to give you fair warning. I'm not trying to be a Grinch that stole Christmas uh, today. Christmas is not canceled. In case you were worried that I was uh, going there, um, I, however, want us all to endeavor to see there are depths to it, and it's not really about sentimentalism. It's not really about materialism. It's not really about all of the things that we as a society celebrate. Um, it is very much a introduction to the good news. And the good news is Jesus makes all things new. And so the Christmas story, Bethlehem and the manger, all of that is introduction to hope. All of it is an introduction to hope. I want to, first of all, share with you a rather interesting tidbit of data I came across lately. Every year, uh, there the, the Gallup 
organization that polls Americans. They do every year since 2001. They ask Americans to rate their mental health or their and their emotional well-being. And they have them answer the question, how you're doing, how's your mental health, how is your emotional well-being. Most years, it's around 90%. Most people think they're doing okay. Uh, most people think that, you know, all things being equal, there's no sense feeling overly sorry for themselves, and they're okay. Um, not so much that they are, you know, uh, running through the town painting it red, but they're okay, and their mental well-being, their mental health and their emotional well-being is, is good. Uh, almost 90% of the people say that it is, but this year, uh, because of the craziness of this year, if it wasn't um, the problems with, uh, that our, uh, our, our nation has had um, with uh, COVID, uh, there's been other very distracting and painful events that have happened, uh, protests that have happened, uh, political, shall we say, expressions of anger and, and the like, which is not too, too rare in a political year, but this year, because of everything else, it's just been a very exhausting uh, year. And many people confess to kind of being adrift with it all, and they don't know exactly what is the thing to do, they don't know the right path, and uh, they're exhausted with it all. So this year, rather than 90, around 90% of people saying they were okay in their mental health and their emotional well-being, it dropped by almost 10% of percentage points. And this year, for really the first time ever, uh, only 80% of people said that they were they were mostly they were mostly okay in their mental health and their emotional well-being. Um, this should not surprise any of us because we all know it's been a difficult year. Every group of Americans that were surveyed, and there is a lot of different groups that Gallup organization organizes the data into. They organize it into uh, married people, single people, um, various age groups from seniors to college, all of these groups, every single group, except one, but we'll get to that in a moment, every single group expressed a, a decrease in their mental health. Didn't matter who they were, didn't matter what their ethnic background was, didn't matter their economic background. Every single group said their mental health was worse this year than any other year since they started recording the data. Think about that. Uh, 20 years of data, this is the worst for mental health for all groups across all divisions of society. Emotional well-being, this was the worst across all groups, across all sections of our uh, culture. They, all of them, had the lowest ratings for mental health and emotional well-being in history, uh, except for one group. Now, you're dying to know which group actually did better this year than they did last year. Which group could it be? Well, uh, the Gallup organization reports that the only group of people that actually did better in their emotional well-being and their mental health is weekly church attenders. 
that's astonishing to me, but it shouldn't be because the Bible gives us this promise. When the darkness seems to grow darker, the light will shine brighter. Something about orienting our lives toward the kingdom of God and building our lives upon the promises of God changes everything. And instead of falling apart under trouble, sometimes trouble reminds us that God has everything in control. I said God has everything in control. You say, you don't know what I'm going through. I know, I don't. But here's the promise. God is on the throne. He knows how many hairs you have on your head. He knows exactly where you came from and exactly where you're going. And it's going to be all right. You see, actually this year, uh, weekly church goers... Uh, This is where you should smile at your neighbor and uh, tell them they're either a weekly church goer or they ought to be a weekly church goer. (laughs) Just take that as a word from the Lord, dearly beloved. Uh, uh, This is the year where people who go to church every week actually did 4% better than they did last year on their mental health and their emotional well-being. These aren't necessarily Christians collecting this data. There is great value and spiritual strength in building your life upon the promises of God. Uh, Going to church will remind you that you never had a solution anyway. You might as well trust God. Going to church will remind you that even if you're sick, he's still your healer. Going to church will remind you that even when you're broke, he has the cattle on a thousand hills and it's going to be okay. Going to church will remind you that in spite of your failures, he's still perfect. And in spite of your shortcomings, he is a way maker. Um, Christmas uh, has become sentimentalized. We know that. Um, Some of this is just the result of becoming a wealthy society, but some of it um, in American culture is due to the manner in which um, it has been sentimentalized. And no one has been more responsible for sentimentalizing, uh, long word there if you say it three times and let the spirit move, who knows what could happen. Um, No one has been more responsible for sentimentalizing uh, Christmas and the holidays than the great American artist, Norman Rockwell. Uh, He, for many years, would paint the cover of the Saturday Evening Post. And in just a beautiful way that celebrated um, uh, American culture, but also uh, the lived experience of Americans, uh, he put that all, both his talent, his abilities, both context and also human emotion, he put that in just a a lovely way. He put that in his paintings. And uh, the Saturday Evening Post begin to have him uh, particularly do more than just one uh, holiday cover for, say, December. He would do holiday covers starting back in October um, and take us all the way through the holiday season. And he really made it popular uh, to sentimentalize because he expressed something about the holiday season that most of us love, most of us enjoy. Um, He 
he was more than just commissioned by Saturday Evening Post. Many large American corporations hired him to draw or paint, I should say, holiday pictures that they then used in their marketing. And the result of this is that over his career, um, Norman Rockwell painted over a hundred uh, Christmas-themed uh, pictures, all of them remembering, celebrating, sentimentalizing uh, the Christmas story. And we, all of us, even us church people, I, I might should say, particularly as church people, uh, we make Christmas beautiful. That's not wrong. Uh, it's just, it, I just want you to see it. I want you to acknowledge it. We, we make Christmas beautiful. Our, our children have uh, nativity scenes, and I, I love them because, you know, uh, they little kids come down, and they have the little kids dressed up like animals and when I was when I was growing up they always made me the donkey and I think that's what my Sunday school teachers thought about me I was a little donkey and um, so that's funny I don't care what y'all say and uh, so I was always a little donkey that's how I remember it for the purposes of this message and they'd have the little the little manger out here and all the parents would crowd crowd forward with their cameras you know back in the day we had Polaroids you know it'd be like they say, oh, I look fat in that one. Let me take another one, you know. Uh, nowadays, you don't know until you look at your phone. But, it, you know, we sentimentalized it. And then we, we get together. We give each other gifts. And over time, the gifts are, are not about the Christmas story. And, and this isn't wrong. I just want you to acknowledge it. It's not about, it's not really about the fact that good news came to this world. It, it has, it's become about... Uh, how Americans live their life, how we, uh, how we celebrate it. Um, we are just as likely to celebrate uh, the themes of Christmas as we are to celebrate the story uh, of Christmas. And again, I'm not being a Grinch. I'm not killing Christmas. I, I just want you to acknowledge this because I want to make a point uh, with it all. Uh, how, if you, however, had been a part of the Christmas story, you would have known to your very bones that it was not a normal. Rockwell Christmas. If you had been there with Mary uh, riding a donkey into Bethlehem, heavily pregnant, uh, hurting, uh, tired, uh, exhausted. If you had been there with Joseph going door to door, do you have a place we could stay? My wife is uh, about to have a baby. Uh, Do you have a place we could stay? No, sorry, we have no place. Uh, Over and over and feeling the failure that would be a natural thing for a good uh, husband or father to feel that he can't even find a place a warm place for his family. If you had been there, I promise you, it did not feel like a Norman Rockwell uh, Christmas. It was not beautiful with lights and tinsel. And uh, it was very much a difficult time filled with fear, uncertainty, and everything that we like not to be a part of our Christmas. The first Christmas was not a beautiful scene with uh, pretend uh, farm animals and a beautiful little uh, manger and uh, 11-year-old Mary. It was grueling and it was difficult and it was painful. And it's not wrong for us to remember it beautifully, but we miss the point if we think of it primarily as a celebration of beauty. Christmas is not a celebration of beauty. Let me read to you a passage of scripture that is a promise from Isaiah 
Concerning this moment in the story of Jesus, concerning the birth, concerning Bethlehem, concerning what we celebrate in this holiday season, this is Isaiah speaking the promise of God. Isaiah 2, excuse me, verse 9, chapter 9, verse number 2, reading from New Living Translation, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. Don't just celebrate the star and don't just remember the light. Just remind yourself for a moment that the world was a dark place filled with people who were walking in darkness. It was a holding arena for those people held in a land of deep darkness unto those people a light has shone. Uh, We cannot simply make it beautiful. We have to also recognize that it is is not a beautiful story. It's about God making ugly things beautiful. That's not the same thing whatsoever. It's not simply a beautiful image. It's how God makes ugly reality beautiful. Christmas for many people is not about beauty. It's not about happiness. There are within the Chris, within our um, uh, Christian, ex, excuse me, our Christmas experience, uh, there is a lot of sadness. There is a lot of loss. The uh, psychologists tell, tell us that this holiday season will uh, be uh, in many ways responsible for a spike uh, in mental health issues, spike in despair, spike in uh, even suicide, as, as sad as that is to admit, these holidays where so many people seem to be filled with joy and happiness in another context, tell some people that they don't seem to have anyone, and loneliness roars over their soul. Uh, while some people are celebrating so much, other people are uh, cel- uh, not celebrating but remembering all that they have lost. And while some of us have been the beneficiary of so many beautiful memories, there's a lot of people who uh, the holidays fills them with sad memories. But I want to speak to anyone who views the holidays with almost a sense of dread. And you dread the feeling of isolation and you dread the feeling of being alone and you're tired of it. And you, you dread the memories of the year you survived and here the song that makes other people happy maybe doesn't make you quite so happy I'm here to tell you Truth be told, Christmas is for the people who walk in darkness, not the people who have had everything work out good for them. Christmas is not primarily about us collecting all of our societal winners. Now, I know that there are some benefits to growing up in a, uh, a church family. I know there are true, uh, not just spiritual benefits. We all know those. But I'm talking just real practical life uh, benefits to growing up in a Christian home, uh, you probably, uh, you, you definitely have a greater chance of, of growing up in a nuclear family where it's kind of traditional and the father and the mother uh, and kids. I know that's the case. I know that uh, if you go to church regularly, you uh, have a much higher chance of actually, you know, not uh, giving your children up for adoption. I know that's why my children are still here. And if you... <laughs> 
Um, if you go to church regularly, you have a greater chance of not having your wife kill you in your sleep, which is why I'm here. And um, there's a lot of practical benefits to going to church. But I want to be clear about this. The church is not a celebration of winners. People who have the beautiful life and it worked out for them and their marriage worked out and their kids are all well behaved and all you people who can eat chocolate and not gain weight, curses upon you. Uh, it's not simply a celebration of the perfect, the good, the righteous. We all perhaps love to see people who they idealize the good, right life. Yes, but a church is not really a celebration of them. The church is a celebration of how God takes broken things. The church is a celebration about how God takes broken people and shattered dreams and bleeding souls. And God says, yes, that's how I found you. But upon you who walk in darkness, a great light is going to shine. To all of you who your life didn't work out the way you want and you seem to face darkness of soul, I'm here to tell you, into your darkness of soul, a great light is going to shine. To every one of you who feels like your family has uh, in many ways cut you off. To those of you who have relationship baggage in your closet. To those of you who didn't have everything work out just right. Your bank account is not a model bank account that they use to sell investing accounts uh, by investment companies. No, you're week to week. Uh, your life is not, shall we say, sentimentalized. It's not been beautified and uh, in many ways, it feels like a hot mess. I want you to know the Christmas promise is for you. To those of you who sit in darkness, a great light has shone. The birth of Christ does not relieve you of every tear. What it does is it gives you a promise beyond your tears. The birth of Christ does not relieve you from every pain. It gives you hope on the other side of your pain. The birth of Christ is not him in some way giving you the idealized or beautified or sentimentalized life. The birth of Christ is him saying to you that your tears are not the final word and your sorrow is not the end of your story there is hope there is promise and there is a new beginning because into your life the light of hope the light of promise has shone and he makes everything different when he comes into your life we as believers have a first uh, necessity to perceive that light we have to first see that light then we have to be transformed by that light and then we burn with that light this is the role the mission the calling of the local church first we see that light yes and then we are transformed by that light. And finally, we burn with the intensity of that light. It is hope. It is overcoming power. It is promise. And in spite of our tears, we are transformed by the light. And in spite of ups and downs of career and difficulties with family and friends and relationships and marriage and even our children, there is hope through it all because 
because the light transforms us and we burn with the hope of the promise of Jesus Christ. Jesus will not tell us a stylized story of uh, beautiful memories. Let me remind you of the stories that are not beautiful, that are threaded through the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. First of all, uh, he will uh, know a life of pain. That's right. Jesus will know a life of pain. There are people who will survive this holiday season living in physical pain. Uh, Jesus's life shows and demonstrates difficult circumstances. The things that were just around his life that weren't even personal, that weren't even against him shows the difficulty of his life, whether it's no room in the end or born among cattle or thrown into a refugee life by the hatred of King Herod, uh, Jesus will uh, show difficult circumstances. And uh, it may be cultural discrimination that you are living with. Jesus uh, was born as a ethnic minority without political power to a blue collar home despised by insiders, mocked by outsiders, handed over to the Romans, all while the people who were supposedly of his tribe, his people, encouraged the betrayal, whether it's Pharisees or Sadducees or Aseans or Zealots or tax collectors or Caesars or Herod himself, all of them shout voices of rejection, voices of accusation, and this is the life he will live from beginning to end. Uh, he will know what religious rejection feels like. Let me say it this way. You aren't the only person who's been church hurt. Jesus manifests the ultimate church hurt when the church organizes his death. Now, I know I'm using church uh, loosely to include the uh, Abrahamic faith, but I, I want you to see we aren't the only people who get church hurt. We all of us can get church hurt in the church. That's not a reason to give up on God. That's not the church was never intended to be perfect. It's God who is perfect. The church is part of the friction in your life whereby we become living witnesses, living epistles known and read of men. Jesus will overcome a soul deep despair. He will live. Some of you live with soulful despair. Jesus will live with soulful despair. He will grieve. He will cry out. He will sweat great drops like blood. He will give voice to the most ancient ancient question that haunts our limited understanding, which is simply, my God, my God, why? Hast thou forsaken me? He will know family rejection. Some of you are living with family uh, rejection. Jesus will know family complication. His siblings do not accept him. Uh, they don't show up at his teaching. They don't give to his ministry. Uh, they're not the producer for his TV show. That all will happen later. He will be rejected. Evidently, his mother even tried to have a type of intervention with him early in his ministry. 
which is when he told his disciples, look, um, uh, if, if you're not willing to give everything to this way, you're not worthy of this way. Or if you're not willing to be with me, then you're not worthy of me. Jesus knows family rejection just like you know family rejection. Jesus knows family and relationship complication just like you know relationship complication. The Christmas is not, it's not in its essence about a celebration of the beautiful and the happy and the rosy cheeks of children. I know we have made it that and it's okay that we've done so for the most part. It's not really about who got the best present. I know we have made it that it's not really about Christmas carols and uh, peppermint candy and uh, kisses under the mistletoe, although I like those kisses under the mistletoe. That's not really what it's about. We've made it that I want you to see what it's really about. You had no hope, but Jesus loved you. You had nowhere to turn, but Jesus loved you. You had no answer for sin, but Jesus loved you. You had no solution to the breaking of soul and spirit, but Jesus loved you. And he came and said, let me carry your sorrows. Let me carry your debts. Let me carry your pain. This isn't a Norman Rockwell Christmas. Yes, we live in a world of darkness. The good news is that light has shone in this darkness. Uh, psychologists tell us there's three main triggers in the holiday season that cause people to veer uh, off of their plan. There's actually a lot of people uh, as a part of various uh, anonymous, like Alcoholics Anonymous or Addicts Anonymous groups that they actually have more difficulty during the holidays than any other time of the year staying clean. Um, uh, that we know these stats. We sometimes remind ourselves of them. Um, I, 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 I want you to know that uh, we celebrate Christmas one way, but God actually meant it another way. And we have hope in our lives. We have the promises of God in our lives. And I want to simply uh, remind you that the story is not primarily about beautiful things. Uh, uh, it's about people who are trying to make it. Uh, why are Mary and Joseph going to Bethlehem anyway? Because they don't have a choice in the matter. They feel like fate has them in its grip. And by fate, I don't necessarily mean the will of God, although it was the will of God. A decree goes out from Caesar Augustus and they feel like they're not even in control of their own lives. We have to go. Is it bad timing? Yes, it's terrible timing. My wife is nine months pregnant. It's terrible timing. Uh, they can't even control that and they have very little political power, if any, none actually. Uh, they have no political voice and here they are just making their way through the difficulties of their life. You know how we say there's no room in the end. Uh, it's not just us who feel like life has closed doors to us. It is in the story. Further, it's not just us who oftentimes feel like the best opportunities go to other people. Uh, it's not the priests and the prophets here in this scene. It's shepherds who show up. Shepherds are the, the blue collar workers. They're not the people who anybody follows on social media. They don't have a thousand Twitter followers. <laughs> they're not TikTok heroes. 
heroes. Uh, they're nobodies. They're blue-collar workers. They are uh, not the people the world looks to for culture. Uh, but they're the ones to whom Jesus makes, or I should say the angels make the announcement about uh, Jesus. And finally, when, when the angel warns them and tells them to flee for their lives, and uh, Joseph and Mary flee to Egypt, this is a refugee moment. They don't even have a place to go. They're, they're, they're an oppressed minority, and now the place they're supposed to be is a, uh, a threat to them. And whether it's hiding from the hatred of Herod and, and his cruelty uh, is willing to commit infanticide because he's politically insecure. Um, it's, it's, not, it's not a story really that you uh, celebrate with you know rosy cheeks. It's, it's not really about the beautiful celebration of sentiment. We have made it. And finally, I want to remind you that the people who are interested uh, are not even the people of God. The, the Magi are not Jews. The, the Magi are from Persia. And furthermore, they're practicing a type of um, astral divination, a star divination that's condemned by the Old Testament. These are not upstanding examples of the kind of people that, you know, us righteous people would support. It's almost as though God says, look, I am going to fix this hot mess down here. And you won't even know how I'm working on your behalf. But I'm going to love you anyway. And I'm going to help you anyway. And I'm going to make a place for you anyway. And you should have known better. But it's okay. I'll find some people who are willing to see. And I'll find some people with open hearts. And they can worship. And they can show up. And they can celebrate. Let me say it one more time. It's not a Norman Rockwell Christmas. It's this kind of a Christmas. All you who are in a tough situation, Christmas is for you. All of you fighting depression, the promises of Jesus Christ are for you. It's not the will of God you stay in the despair when he is the one who can give you hope. Come on, somebody. I said it's not the will of God for you to stay in a hopeless state when God is your healer. I want to I say, as our musicians come, I, I want to say a, a, a word of uh, hope to everyone here. Uh, in spite of how you will experience this, this season, in spite of whether or not your memories are good or perhaps not so good, not everybody has joyful memories of this uh, season. And they think of everything they have come through. And they think of someone who did this to them this year. Not everybody has the great memories of the holidays and I, I, I want to say uh, it's okay because um, actually uh, this good news gospel is, is for you. Um, it's, it's not really a collection of the perfect people. It's not really oriented around a celebration of a, the sentimental folks. It is much more a hope and a promise whatever you are facing. Uh, some people have uh, problems with uh, being tempted back uh, to uh, addictions and other people fight depression and the three triggers that I, I mentioned earlier are loneliness, loss, and sad memories. Um, psychologists tell us these are triggers. Um, and in all three cases, you cannot settle down with your loneliness, your loss, or your sad memories and have a pity party. I want to give you some real practical advice that you'll find threaded through the word of the Lord over and over again that goes like this. Um, if you are fighting loneliness, find somebody lonelier than you are and make a place for them. And you'll discover that by giving, you have received. 
Don't settle with your loneliness and just celebrate the fact that you are in some ways having this pity party of uh, I lost, uh, I don't have. Uh, don't, don't simply be satisfied with that. Uh, take action and reach out to someone else. A loss can ruin the holidays for people and they think about loved ones they have lost and um, sad, sad tragedies that have happened and it holds them in a vice. And I, I would say, I would say as spiritual reminder to all of you. You're not the only one who has lost. Find other people who have lost and join together with them and don't just mourn, but remind each other of the memories that are good and the hope and the promise that God has manifest in your life. And if the holidays are full of sad memories, don't stop making memories. If you have more sad memories than happy memories, I'm here to tell you, the clock hasn't stopped for you just yet. Get busy making happy memories until the happy memories outweigh the bad memories. Don't just say my family had no traditions. Get your kids and say we're starting a tradition. Let me tell you a secret secret about tradition. They can be corny. It doesn't matter. You get a pass. Your kids will think it was cool and they'll tell your corny tradition with wistful eyes. My uh, grandfather, um, he had a corny Christmas tradition where on Christmas day, he would find the most ridiculous Christmas socks and sweater that he could find. And he would come over the house with his pants pulled up into high waters. And he would have uh, green socks with a red Santa, a white beard, and he would not come in the house with the frown on his face. He would come in the house dancing with those socks showing and his pants hiked up, doing the two-step. Let me tell you the kind of life he had. His parents died when he was less than the age of 10. And he had to grow up wandering from farm to farm asking them if they would feed him and he would help them around the farm and he would work at one farm for a while and then he would go find another farm he raised himself without parents when he didn't have a place to leave uh, to, to, to sleep he literally would go down and sleep in the cemetery that sounds crazy but that's what that's his story uh, and he would scare people who were coming through the cemetery because they were scared he wasn't scared because that was a place they had some places there people had built shrines you know to memory and he could get out of the rain there and uh, these are the kind this is the kind of life he had he didn't grow up with a pretty candy cane story but he put those stinking socks on anyway and he hiked his pants up anyway and he came into the house going stop being satisfied with your sad memories make some happy memories Christmas is not just about perfect people Christmas is a promise that God will not leave you where he found you God's not giving up on you. Your pain is not your destiny. There is hope. Let's stand all over the house. Let's stand all over the house. Lord, I'm praying for somebody here in this house or watching this on video. I'm praying for them right now, Lord, that they are tottering because of the difficulties they are facing, because of the complications they are facing. They have been fighting a running battle with despair. Sometimes they win, sometimes they lose. They fight this running battle with depression. Lord Jesus, I speak your favor to them in Jesus' name. I can't give joy that I have of this world. I can 
only give the promises of God. And Lord, would you let your presence be strong with them? Would you let them feel the touch of your hand upon their hand, Lord Jesus? Let them sense that underneath the difficulty of their life are the everlasting arms of divine promise and divine presence. And though weeping comes and though sorrow comes and though complication is real, there is a great light that has shined in their life. They need to see that light. They need to be transformed by that light. And they need to burn with that light. In Jesus' name we pray. Don't let us settle for what we're just faced with. Let us lift our eyes to promise. Open our hearts to heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. 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 I rebuke the lies of the enemy. Somebody say it with me. I rebuke the lies of the enemy. Say it with me. In Jesus' name, I rebuke the lies of the enemy. I rebuke depression. Someone say it with me. In Jesus' name, we rebuke depression. In Jesus' name, we rebuke despair. In Jesus' name, we rebuke the lie of the enemy that we're all alone. Come on, somebody say it with me. In Jesus' name, we rebuke the lies of the enemy telling us that we're always going to be in pain. We rebuke sickness in Jesus' name. We rebuke the power of the enemy in Jesus' name. And in that name that's above every name, we stand on the promises of God. Somebody say it with me. We stand on the promises of God. In Jesus' name, we stand upon the promises of God. In Jesus' name, we lift up holy hands without wrath or doubting. In Jesus' name. Wherever you are, your living room, your kitchen table, you need to make that a place of worship and praise right now. Here in this house, we're going to make this whole house a place of worship and praise. Our worship team is going to lead us. I want you, if you're comfortable stepping out front, you're welcome to do that, to come down to the front. If you want to stay where you are, lift your voice, lift your hands. This whole house is going to be a praise service for a little while. We're praising the one who did not leave us in darkness, but brought us into his marvelous at any time if you need to go you can be dismissed thank you to all worshiping with us we love you god bless you but don't rush away this whole house is going to be a worship house here for a little while in the name of jesus lift your voice lift your hands let's praise him with everything that is within us thank you for listening to first church charlotte if this podcast has blessed you Please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us.